For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's study, Paul the Apostle is catching his readers up on all his trials and tribulations. But interestingly, it is the cause of great joy. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, The Right Attitude. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning again. We're going to get started. We missed a week, and so uh, we left off in the middle of the chapter of a new book that we're studying, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick up right where we left off, as we always do, at verse 12. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would just focus our attention, our hearts and minds on what's important, your word, your God-breathed word is sent to give us life, to bless us, to give us wisdom so that we could be effective and productive in this life that you have given us. Now we pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this last week, there was an interesting news story. I don't know if you saw it or not. Uh, The title of the article that I saw uh, Put it this way, a positive mental attitude benefits health, longevity, and quality of life. Hmm. Now let me read a couple sentences from the article itself. Research from the Harvard School of Public Health links a more optimistic outlook with a lowered risk of heart disease in older men and lists another study that reports that optimism, optimistic women, I should say, have less thickening of the carotid artery walls. Now, that's interesting. Uh, He goes on to say, thousands of articles in medical, health, and news journals tout the benefits of what they call PMA, positive mental attitude. All right. Uh, uh, They tout the benefits of a positive uh, attitude when it comes to longevity, and many other positive aspects of aging are included when we have this kind of bright outlook. Uh, Last sentence here, optimistic people live longer, have closer personal relationships, and are able to deal with the negative things that happen to them in a way that allows them to continue to be able to be there for others and so that others can help them as well. Now, you know, there was a little bit of giggling when I said, wow, newsflash, you know, positive attitude has great benefits. Well, the giggling was about, you know, what is the latest uh, news story with Harvard is really old news to believers. And because 3,000 years ago, uh, King Solomon asked God for wisdom. God liked that prayer and gave him Uh, The smarts like nobody else. He was the smartest guy on the planet. And he wrote through the Holy Spirit uh, a proverb, a happy heart is like good medicine. But he said, when you're broken or in low spirits, that saps one's strength. I like the King James that says, it drieth up your bones. I like that a lot. 
So I also like a contemporary version in English that put it this way. A happy heart is good medicine, uh, but a cheerful heart, here we go. Let me say it again. <laughs> Being cheerful keeps you healthy. It is slow death to be gloomy all the time. And I like that. That's pretty succinct. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to see how Paul, the apostle, uh, has a PMA, a positive mental attitude. He's cheerful all the time, 24-7. And I think that there's a great lesson for us in the paragraph we're going to take a look at. Because, you know, nothing like the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ to cheer you up. There's just nothing like it. Uh, it'll give you a happy outlook no matter what is going on. Because if God is for us, who could be against us? Uh, if you ask me, the entire Bible is one big happy pill. You know, I mean, come on. God, who made heaven and earth, loves us, gave his son, laid down his life willingly for a bunch of rebellious sinners who didn't even want him. And yet he bled and died for us to take away all of our sins and he's going to reward us for not destroying ourselves, essentially, you know? I mean, he just says, come to me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it? That's how easy he's made it. And so when you start thinking about the precious promises of God and that it all boils down to just trusting Jesus and that he's going to work it all together and he's going to finish the work he started in us, guaranteed, then you could start getting happy about something like that. And the, the good medicine will be on board, you know, a cheerful heart. Now, here in Philippians, he's in jail, Paul the Apostle. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. And yet this guy uses the word joy and rejoicing about 20 times in four chapters. And the reason, of course, is that he uses another word in the chapter 50 times. That word is Christ. He has a biblical worldview. He has a God-centered life. And the way he evaluates everything that's happening to him is through the eyes of the scriptures, the Bible, God's purposes, not just about me and my convenience and how much pain I'm in or the loss, but he evaluates life from a biblical perspective. And he's going to help us to do that as we are called to kind of imitate him as he follows Christ. So let's take a, a look at this paragraph here. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers, he's writing to the Philippians. He's their founding pastor. It's been 10 years, and he's in jail. And they heard what happened to him, which is really six-year ordeal, so he's saying, about this last six years, I want you to know what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Well, it's true, not going to lie, there are some preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Now, the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up some trouble for me while I'm incarcerated in these chains. 
But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I can be happy. I have a positive mental attitude. I can rejoice because that's what's important to me, what God is doing in and through me in spite of my situation, my convenience, or my comfort. So that's our text. Sometimes we, we go a little bit further on Sunday mornings, but there's a lot to talk about. So if God can get us to adopt a new worldview about how we see our lives, our troubles, our difficulties, our level of pain, to see it differently from a different take, I think that our lives could be changed. Now, talk about a positive mental attitude. Man, he's got some cheerful heart right here, and it's been good medicine for Paul and anybody who follows in his footsteps. And so uh, interesting how Paul chooses to see, as I said, what has happened to him the last six years that winds up there in the Roman prison in a cell. It took six years to get there. And they've heard the story. So he's just going to try to spin it in reality through the scriptures. And so the, the paragraph divides kind of nicely. First, he's going to talk about the difficult things that have happened in the past that brought him up to this point to where he's writing them and his take on it, which is God's take on it. And then he's going to say, and by the way, I want to talk to you about the difficult things that are now going on this moment as I'm writing and my take on that. And then he's just going to say, uh, use some, and show us some invaluable insights, very important things for us to consider as we walk through. Now, there are so many ways to look at the same set of circumstances. Something happens, one person sees it this way, another person can tell the same story, but with a different focus. And it reminded me of that proverbial glass that's either half empty or half full, right? And so exhibit A here, there's lots of ways to look at it. And the way you look at life really determines what's going on inside of you, right? And so, you know, of course, the two famous lines are, you know, do you see that as half full or do you see that glass as half empty? How many would just say, yeah, I kind of look at it as this is, it's a half full glass. Yeah, how many of you say, well, it's half empty. It's obvious, hello, right? Yeah, you guys, I saw you like, I don't want to say that. <laughs> well, you know, somebody has had fun with this and those two are obvious. And then they made a whole long list about how to define people based on how they describe that glass. Let me share a couple of them with you. The engineer, he looks at that glass and he says, the glass is overly designed for the quantity of water therein. <laughs> the fanatic says, the glass is completely full. No, it's full. Just, just keep saying it. It's full. It's full. It's full. Don't say, well, it's half empty. Don't say that. Just say it's full. OK, <laughs> done with that. OK, uh, the worry ward is expecting someone to come and knock it over at any moment, right? And spill it all over their iPhone. Right? Uh, the cynic just wants to know, who drank the other half? 
the thirsty guy doesn't care about any of this. He just comes in and drinks the water. Uh, then we've got the IT support person. You know what he does. You know. Just think what he would say. He would say, try emptying the glass and refilling it. Get it? <laughs> Reboot. Oh, come on. Every problem. Hey, have you tried rebooting? <laughs> Every, it's, and it usually works, <laughs> to be honest with you. Now, now, have you met this dude, Eeyore? Right. When Eeyore looks at the glass, he says, it's half empty. You see, we're going to have a drought. We're in a drought. We're all going to die, all right? Eeyore, look, there's water in the glass. It's probably high levels of arsenic. Is it well? Have you tested the well water for poisonous chemicals and minerals, right? And no, he goes on, you know. Oh, well, look, man, we had it tested. It's fine. Actually, it's not well water. It's right from, you know, our house, you know. That reminds me of my water bill. Unbelievable. Sky high. I don't know where I'm supposed to be getting the money to pay for my water bill, right? Okay, sorry. I think you get the point. Thank you, York. Goodbye. Oh, nice. Well, clearly, Paul's not in Eeyore. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. God has not wasted any of my six years. It may look to you of what's happened, but I want to tell you what really is going on, right? So we're going to talk about that, really. I mean, he says, he's beginning his letter with an update. So he says, hey, listen, you know what's happened to me, but I'm going to tell you what really, why I'm going to assess it for you. I'm going to put the right spin on it because, you know, technically, if you look at it, and, and I think we should, because it starts the, the, what happened to him, what is what happened to him? Well, that's my job to remind you what did happen to him. It starts in Acts 21, and it goes to the end of the book. That's the six years he's talking about when he says, I want to tell you what happened to me, but I want to tell you what it really means. All right? So let's, let's talk about what happened to him, what's included there. All right? So now this is just flat. This is exactly technically, practically what happened to him. If you read Acts 21 to Acts 28, you will find out this hard, cold facts. This is what happened to me. So what did happen to him? Well, it started six years earlier in Jerusalem. He had just finished a beautiful campaign, a missionary campaign, which we call the third missionary journey. He brought a love offering from all the non-Jewish churches in the region. And he got to the temple there in Jerusalem, and some scoundrel, some demonized bum, stands up and accuses him falsely of, of blasphemy. And it causes a riot, a mob. And it says that they almost tore him limb from limb, throwing dust in the air and chanting, away with this man. Get rid of him. Let's kill him over and over again. They practically tore him apart to shreds. That's what happened to him. This is how it all started. And, and so they would have, but the Romans got in there and said, this is a bad guy. Listen, we're going to stretch him out and flog him. And it wouldn't have been the first time. He had been flogged five times already. And so they, they, from there, he goes into the prison, right? He gets thrown into the dungeon. 
And this is just what happened. False accusations, lies, smears, insults. None of it was true. You know, they threw him into jail. And then there was a conspiracy. This is just what happened to him. This is what happened to me. All right? A conspiracy. 40 guys said, I, we know he's in jail. Move him from the jail cell. 40 of us have fasted and prayed, and we are not going to eat or drink till we kill him. Yeah, they wanted to kill him. So he's moved north now to Caesarea from there, just narrowly escaping an assassination coup, right? Where he languishes away under three governors, two really, Governor Felix, then Governor Festus, who's bribing him and trying to get him to, they're, they're using him as a source of entertainment. Colin Paul, let's hear that gospel, let's make fun of him. And all he's doing instead of out preaching the gospel, he's shackled a bunch of guys who just want to bribe him, corrupt and blaspheme. And that's all he's doing is just wasting all this time from Eeyore's point of view is that's what's going on. And so from there, there's another assassination of plot to get him. This is all included, right? So to escape that, he appeals to Caesar. He catches on, they're going to kill me again. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. And he says, you've appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. Great, so on, on, with chains, he, they take this man of God and they put him on a prison ship with 276 vile, murdering thieves and guards. And he's, he's on board and he's got chains. He's innocent the whole time. All of this is going on. And what happens? They go into a hurricane. For two weeks, he's chained. And Eeyore is saying, where's God now? Where, you know, why is he letting a hurricane happen? You know? And so there's the, the, the guards want to slit the prisoner's throats. This is what has happened. This is what they're hearing. And he's going to tell them, wait a second here. Let me continue. And so these things that they know about, they shipwreck. He shipwrecks, he's chained. He's gonna, they're gonna drown. But somehow he gets to shore, he's cold, he's soaking wet, and he decides, you know, I'm gonna be helpful here. So he grabs a pile of logs, and out comes a venomous viper that, that bites him, and it's hanging and swinging by its fangs in his hand. And it's like, uh, Eeyore, oh, where's God now? <laughs> you know. Prison, assassination plots, shipwreck, hurricane, vipers, the list goes on. He's not done. So they leave Malta for Rome, the prison, where now he's just languishing away in Rome, waiting to stand before Nero, and Nero, quite possibly, is just going to say, execute this guy. Off with his head. That is what technically has happened. So when he says, now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me is everything I just told you. And then he says, has really turned out to be quite a good thing. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Paul, now listen. Eeyore sees it this way. The gospel's been hindered. 
His ministry is over. The devil is winning. Paul seen nothing but setback after setback, hardship after hardship, problem after problem. But instead of a pity party, here comes a praise report. All right? Now, Paul's joy and attitude is grounded in a spiritual reality. God never calls us to look on the bright side if there's nothing to look at that's bright. So if you're an unbeliever and you've rejected Christ's way to save your soul, he doesn't expect you to be whistling a happy tune as you drive a car down a road that ends in tragedy, right? So the Christian-based joy that Paul is going to have is not a denial of reality, and it's not just uh, having a good, listen, having a good attitude for the sake of having a positive attitude. Mm -mm. No, he's having a positive attitude because he has a cause, a foundation that is causing him to be able to say, hey, 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 let's look beyond the things that we can see, which are temporal, Let's look at what God's doing to the things that are unseen, which are eternal. Now, I imagine the Apostle Paul, if he got up here and we just said, hey, man, just what has happened to you? How did you end up at Rome? Tell us the story. Acts 21 to Acts 28. Just, just give us your take on it. And he'd say gladly. It all started in Jerusalem. I went there with an offering and some dude, you know, says, hey, that's the guy who did this, that, and the other thing. Of course, it was a lie, but guess what happened? There was this mob, right? Praise the Lord. And there was this mob and they're like at me. They're trying to kill me, right? And so what do, what do I do? Acts 21, what do I do? I say, hey, hey, to the, to the guy who was arresting me, I said, can I speak? Can I speak? And the guy goes, yeah, sure. He lets me speak to the crowd. So I'm on the steps, ready to get killed. Instead, you could hear a pin drop. Acts 21. And, and the Lord just, I said to them, brothers in Aramaic, their mother tongue. And they all went, quiet. And then I gave them my testimony. I, I shared Christ. I explained 21 verses. You could hear a pin drop in there. I'm like, praise God. You know, I'm so happy for the mob. There they were. I got to share the gospel. Yeah, that's his take on the first part, right? And it gets even better, he says. Then they throw me into this, uh, you know, they throw me into this cell, right, where I have to share with all these bad guys. I, I'm sharing the gospel in there. I have to stand before the Jewish high court. Praise God. I'm before the Sanhedrin. Who am I? Jesus stood before these same men, and here I am, and what do I get to do? I shared the gospel with the Jewish Supreme Court. Some of them remember me because I used to be on the Supreme Court when I was an unbeliever. So I had this open door, and I'm standing there before the Sanhedrin, and I'm like, yes, praise the Lord. I got to share the gospel and my testimony to them. Then, you know, they wanted to kill me. There was a plot, but God Let's my nephew find out about praise Jesus. And my nephew comes in. My nephew's all talks to the warden. And the warden finds out and praise God. The bad guy's plan to kill me foiled. Praise Jesus. Everybody's like, praise God. Everybody's laughing and clapping. Then he goes, well, wait, there's more. Let me tell you what happened to me. <laughs> all right. He says, then they shipped me to Caesarea where I have an audience with who? 
Governor Felix. Two years, the guy wants to bribe me. Get this, you guys. He calls me in and says, preach the gospel. But he really wants to, me to offer him a bribe. But of course, I'm not going to offer him a bribe. I'm going to tell him the gospel. So for two years, this dude's calling me in. And I'm preaching the gospel nonstop. Sometimes he'd get scared and go, whoop, just stop there. Don't want to hear any more now. I'll call for you later. And everybody in the audience is like, praise God. And he's like, oh, there's more. He leaves me in there and two years of this. And then he forgets all about me and he wants to do a favor to the Jews. And he lets me spend more time in there. Glory to God. Because you know what? Festus. And he's married to a Jew. And so he knows more. And now I get more time to preach the gospel. And you'll never get believe this. So I'm in prison. I'm just hanging out. And they say, hey, we've got an audience for you. King Agrippa II and Bernice have, are stopping by. They want to hear you. And not only King Agrippa and Bernice, but every, I'm quoting Acts, every prominent citizen in the region, in the city, are going to gather to hear what you have to say, Paul. Now the crowd is on their feet, the Christians. Are you kidding me? Yeah, he's like, yeah, we're not talking about chains and pain and the temperature in my cell. I'm just languishing away by myself. Where is God in all of this? No, we're on our feet going, you're kidding me, King Agrippa. He goes, I walk in that place. King Agrippa, listening to me. And King Agrippa was this close. I gave my full-on testimony. I told the whole Damascus Road thing, lightning from heaven, who I used to be, who God made me. I threw in a few scriptures for him. And then King Agrippa's all, hey, I'm close. I'm almost there, Paul. Do you really think you could convince me in such a short time? King Agrippa was right there, and I got the gospel out there. Not just King Agrippa. You should have seen the look on other people's faces because they were hearing the gospel. The crowd, the Christian crowd's like roaring. Yes, praise the Lord. He's like, oh, that was such a good time. That was such a good time because God was working and impacting people, and I was being used by him. But wait, there's more. The story doesn't end there, right? So then I, I appeal, and they put me on a boat with all these prisoners who need Jesus, right? So I'm on there, and I'm sharing the gospel on the boat, and guess what? Praise God, we go into a hurricane, all right? So he says, praise God, let me tell you about it. First of all, it proved that my words were right because I got on the boat and I said, listen, God just talked to me. He said, this is not going to turn out well. All right? So you should listen to me. And they said, whatever, preacher. Right? And so then they're in the hurricane and Paul says, what did I say? And then suddenly, and he's given his testimony, everybody's listening to the apostle Paul now. Right? And so I'm sharing the gospel. And then God sends, get this, I'm in a hurricane on a prison ship. God sends an angel to me at night while the ship is going up and down. And the angel says, hey, peace. No problem, Paul. God sent me to tell you something. God has graciously given you all 276 souls on board. Nobody's going to die. He's graciously given them to you on the ship. So he's telling the story. Okay, I'm on the ship, bound. There's a hurricane. 
The ship's like breaking apart. People think they're going to die. And I'm like, praise Jesus. <laughs> There's an angel. The angel tells me how it's all going to end. And so I go out there and I say, hey, listen, guys, an angel talked to me. Stop worrying. Let's eat. Okay. And he asked the blessing over the meal with his chains on. Father, thank you for this hurricane. And <laughs> thank you. He's happy. He has joy. Why? Because he has a biblical outlook. He's there. What is Christ doing? Not in my comfortable, I'm seasick. I was so seasick. None of that matters to this guy. And then it turns out, just like he said, and he says, back to the testimony, and then praise God, we ran aground and the ship came apart. Praise Jesus. Because we were cut free. The soldiers wanted to kill us, but God said, no, that's a bad idea. And they didn't kill us. And, and we floated on little pieces of wood to the shore. And we got to this place called Malta. Praise Jesus. We were cold, wet. We needed a fire. I thought I'd be helpful. I grabbed some wood. Praise God. Guess what happened? A snake comes out and bites me. Hallelujah. Because... <laughs> What happened was, as the snake is hanging there, I'm like, whatever, and I just shake it up. Talk about just shaking off something, you know? It's hanging. Can you imagine? That just is a bad picture for me, personally. <laughs> I do not like snakes. There's a snake hanging from his hand, and Paul's point of view is, glory to God. I just shook it off and went, whatever. And, and then the natives saw that and went, whoa. Let's listen to him. So I just started preaching the gospel, and I got invited, listen, to the governor's house. The governor of Malta invites me over because he saw this happen. So praise God for the snake, because then he gets me into the governor's house. The governor says, oy vey. He, not really. <laughs> it was a Gentile, so he didn't say oy vey. But this is what he does. He says, hey, listen, my father... He's in the other room. He's been sick for months. And Paul says, let me go into the bedroom. I laid hands on him in Jesus' name. He felt in his body he was healed. Word got out. And everyone on the island, I'm quoting the book of Acts. Everyone on the island started bringing all their sick people. And I'm preaching the gospel. Luke is with me. We're laying hands on people. We have a little missionary set up outpost on Malta. So, yeah, we were shipwrecked, but praise God. Now, after we evangelized the entire uh, island of Malta, <laughs> then, praise God, we get on the boat and we ended up in Rome. Now, I'm in a cell. Because I'm a Roman citizen, I have a bit of some rights. They've rented me a house. Yes, I've got chains, but I'm in a house where I'm allowed, Acts 28, I'm allowed to preach and teach to whoever comes by. I'm allowed to write letters. 13 letters are the New Testament, right? I'm allowed to write the Bible. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm allowed to write the Bible, preach the Bible, preach the gospel, and I've kind of got my own little place. Sure, I'm chained to somebody, but, you know, he's an expert in the Bible now as a result. <laughs> So he says, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you what's happened to me is really a good thing. The gospel's not hindered, it's advanced. 
I'm not diminished. I am being used. The devil's not winning, he's losing. And so God is at work, triumphing. Oh, my word, it just goes on and on and on. Just wonderful. You could have looked at it as uh, loss, pain, loneliness. Oh, I, I could tell that story way differently. But he's trying to say, we cannot judge our circumstances by their inconvenience or our loss or, or pain or suffering. We judge, Christian, we judge our circumstances by how God is glorified, how the gospel is being shared, what kind of person he's creating you to be, the character he's developing, he's refining you. He's got a lot of things that he has allowed. And sometimes it's said that God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God didn't put the snake in that bundle of wood, but God used the situation for his glory. And if we're willing to just say, God, here I, here I am, man, just shake everything off and I'm here for the glory of God, do your thing through me, you're gonna have this joy that's inexpressible. And so that brings us up to now. He says, let me just tell you, everything that has happened has really served to advance. That word means to spread like fire, to advance the good news that God loves us. People are getting saved. So he says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. So now he's going to tell us in 13 and 14 in your text um, what the situation is now and what's going on to advance the gospel. So this is number one. It's still happening. Everything I just told you about, it's still happening. Uh, first of all, anybody who comes in my cell, they hear the gospel. I have visitors, and the guards are all there. The guards are hearing our Bible studies. And by the way, the guards are getting saved. And in Philippians chapter 4, when he's signing off, he says, oh, and by the way, Everyone here sends their greetings, especially those of the household of Caesar. Caesar's household, his relatives, his workers, his admin team, his warden. Who is he talking about? He's talking about guys who have gotten gals, who have gotten saved. What? Because of my chains. I don't define them as how they're affecting me, but how God is using the chains that brings me joy because I'm going to see somebody in heaven who I wouldn't have seen had I not had the chains. So the chains is a good thing. One of those guys is Onesimus. Onesimus. He's the star of Philemon. Paul is in the prison. Onesimus is one of the cellies. Onesimus is a runaway slave of Philemon. Philemon is a Christian who has slaves, and he ran away as an unbeliever. To th and, and he, didn't, he ran away and got incarcerated. So now he's with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul leads him to the Lord and sends him back. He got released, so he sends him back with a letter to his friend Philemon, Hey, dude, I led your friend, your slave, to the Lord while he was away from you. 
And the reason he was away from you and ran away from you is so that he could get saved. And now he's saved, receive him back. He said that was worth it. He's saying there were prison guards who needed Jesus. And, and the Lord said, Paul, could I send you in as a missionary? You're, you're going to be uncomfortable. He says, yeah, well, my life isn't dear to me. I don't count it dear to me. The only thing that matters is that I finish the race God has set before me, that I complete the task which he gave me to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Listen, he says, I do not count my life as dear to me. That's the foundation for all positive mental attitude. It's not about me. There's something bigger going on. If I could get my eyes on that, on God, who this universe is all about, then I can see life in the right perspective so that it's not all about me. That's depressing. And so what he's saying is that everybody knows, everybody, everybody knows, who, not just the guards, but everybody in the administration, everybody has heard about the gospel and uh, God is doing great things. So he goes on to say, uh, you know, and number two, those who have heard in, in Rome, the, the, the pastors who have heard, the brothers are more emboldened to speak because of my example. They'd known the last six years, my word, and now he's facing Nero who might lop off his head. And something got a hold of the guys in Rome. Instead of going underground hearing this, they decide, oh, I'm going to stand with the gospel. I'm going to love Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a stand. And Paul's example really encouraged them to step up. They found newfound confidence. The word there means daring. They just started to catch this daringness, right? And the other word means fearless, just to preach fearlessly. He says, that's the first group. There's just just these, I like this one quote. It says, there's something very contagious about courage displayed. When a person stands up for truth and puts their life on the line for that truth, it shows something bigger than themselves is going on and other hearts that are looking on catch fire. There's just something contagious about a guy who'll say, you know, I, I was thinking of Tiananmen Square years ago. Uh, one guy who was just doing business downtown saw the, the tanks moving in, and he stood in front of the tanks, like, run me down, go ahead, have you, do your, your rebel thing, run me over. And he became famous. He became just a spark that went into people's hearts. What Paul is saying is his own example of saying, come on, Nero, take your best shot, man. The last six years, come on, world. His whole life has been that way. They caught wind of this, and they said, come on, let's stand. Let's go. That picture makes me want to get out there, get on a plane to China, and stand next to that guy and say, come on, roll me over too. That's what it does. It makes you, when you hear about a guy like that, you're like, yes, I want to be like that. And it caught fire. So the preachers, instead of going underground, he says, you know what? 
because of my chains. Another way to look at this is it's inspiring others to preach the gospel fearlessly. So people are hearing. Why? Chains. My chains equals more preaching. Not my chains equal, oh, my chains. Oh, they poor me. My chains means, wow, look at that. Look what's going on. And then he says, thank you for that picture. Sadly, not going to lie, not all the preachers responding have the highest uh, motives. And so he's going to be honest. But even here, he's going to see a silver lining. So in your text at verse 15, he's going to tell us the ugly truth. He's going to say, as nice as the situation sounds, not everybody is uh, preaching with sincere motives. Now, the first group, some are motivated by goodwill, he says. Now, knowing I was put here, oh, great line. God put me here. I wasn't accidentally and didn't do anything wrong. How did I end up suffering in this situation? God allowed it. God said, hey, I've got something for you to do. So that sparked a boldness in them, right? So out of goodwill and love. It says, verse 16, they're rising to the occasion, listen, out of love. Love for who? Love for Christ. Love for the truth. Love for the gospel. Love for God. Love for the church there at Rome. Love for the lost. They're like, their hearts have been touched. Now he says, now truthfully, there's another group that I hear about. And he says, they're motivated not by love, by some ugly, ugly words. They are motivated by envy. They're jealous of the Apostle Paul. They're motivated by rivalry, selfish ambition, not sincerely preaching, listen to this, but they're taking advantage, he says in the text, they're taking advantage that I'm incarcerated and I can't do anything about it, and they're trying to jab, jab me and make me hurt inside this prison. Now, who are these scoundrels and what, pray tell, are they doing? Number one, they're not false teachers. As Paul would never say they're boldly proclaiming the word of God, and neither would he give thanks at the end. Well, praise the Lord, they're preaching the gospel. He would have called them out. They're not false teachers. It's not a doctrinal problem. It's a personal problem with the apostle Paul they have. And so that, here's what some of the best Christian thinkers comment about what's going on here. They have come to the conclusion that these guys, they were mediocre preachers and pastors in, um, in Rome who were eclipsed by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So when the Apostle Paul comes to town, incarcerated as he is, he's allowed to have church services in that house he is. Where is everybody on Sunday? Oh, they went to see the Apostle Paul. Paul this, Paul that. Paul's writing this. Paul, 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 I'm sick of hearing Paul. Where is everybody? They're with Paul. Don't say that word. <laughs> so they're jealous. They're envious of his calling, his, his gifts, his effectiveness, his success, his support, right? And so um, they're not happy. They're jealous. And so they use, listen, they use the pulpit to take jabs and hints and snipe and innuendo. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, he's in prison for a reason, okay? Now turn with me to John chapter whatever, you, you know? There's always something to diminish Paul 
slander him a little bit and garner support away from him and to themselves. Listen, I, I used to teach at a seminary, Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, and uh, as a professor to seminary students who want to be pastors, um, I used to tell them, be content with God's calling to you. Your gifts and abilities, you can always grow. But you know, some people are small church pastors, medium church pastors, large church pastors, mega church pastors. Some people are lay people. It's all the same because God, you're supposed to be faithful to what God has called you to be. Now, don't you be uh, jealous and intimidated of another man's calling. Let God work through these people without small, insecure hearts where we have to take jabs at one another. And Paul never has a problem uh, denouncing false teachers and false doctrine. But if they have just a problem with him, and this is all it is, they got Jesus right, they're preaching the gospel, they got a problem with me, and they're making stuff about me. And then he says, what does that matter? God vindicates me. God knows my heart. God knows the situation. God will defend me. The important thing is, is that they are getting in the pulpit and they're preaching. So praise God for that. That's his positive outlook. That's his joy. He says, what does it matter what they say? I love the when he says to the Corinthians who are slandering him, he says, I care very little what you think about me. That's a quote. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I care very little. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It matters only really what God thinks because God knows the truth. I'll stand before him. I don't stand before you. You can have your opinions. It doesn't amount to anything, he says. You can judge me, but the only judgment that matters is how God sees me and my heart. And, and that's what he's saying here. These guys got Jesus right. They're preaching the gospel. Yes, they're taking jobs at me. Everybody's telling me this. Hey, Paul, they're, they're saying you say this and you teach that and you're so hard-headed and all you care about is numbers and you're trying to pull people over to your church. And he's like, what does it matter? Let's take out the Bible, study the Bible. Let's leave that with the Lord. What's important here is, is that Jesus being honored the gospel's being preached, and I'm going to leave the rest to God. He's my defender. You notice he's not like, they said this about me. Well, let me tell you the truth. That's not true. Paul, what does it matter? He says, what does it matter? The important thing is, is that they're preaching Christ. Whether they like me or not, they're threatened by me, whatever. There are guys like that who are very easily threatened and then say all kinds of weird things about people. Now, let me give you an example as we close. You know, you should be asking yourself as I'm asking myself, what's going on in my situation? Is God good? Can I trust him? Is he using pain and suffering? Does the scripture say he uses pain and suffering? Yes. Can something beautiful come from something so painful? Are his promises still good? Am I going to heaven? You know, many of you know this story. Uh, 15 years ago now, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. You all have heard about it, most of you. And I went through chemotherapy. 
I went through radiation, failed to put me into remission. So after eight months of suffering like that, I had to have a bone marrow transplant that took two months straight at UCSF. All through the process, I had a chain. The chain is called Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a blood cancer. So my chain was cancer. When I drive by UCSF in San Francisco, before God, I have warm, fond memories. Now, how is that possible? Because it was the literal worst experience of my life. Separated from my family, my kids couldn't come on the floor because of germs and all of that. I was isolated. I was in terrible pain through that ordeal. A bone marrow transplant is no picnic, right? Then why do I have warm memories? Oh my word, where do I begin? All the opportunities with sick and dying patients all around me. Let me just tell you one of them, okay? I'll probably tell you two, but let me tell you one. <laughs> I saw the look, was like, yeah, we're not getting away with one. <laughs> so, listen, one guy ends up next to me all the time in my outpatient time of chemotherapy. And he's like, oh, what's the... What, what is it with you? I'm always in the next bed to you. And I said, I could tell you probably the reason is God wants to get through to you. And he goes, oh, no, not my daughter is just like you. <laughs> in fact, I was going to say, there's something about you that reminds me of my daughter. And I, I'm all like, well, let me introduce you to him. All right. So I'm, I'm joking around because he doesn't look so good. Right. So. The next week, of course, you know, we're scheduling Tuesday work for you. How about four? You know, that kind of thing. And he's there again, right? So he says, that, this is getting scary. Are you setting this up? And I said, no, someone else is. <laughs> Let's call him Dr. Lamming because that was his name. <laughs> so one day the doctor comes in and said, and I saw the look on his face. And he said, yep, they're done. They gave up on me. I'm going home. Nothing more they can do. I have about two weeks left to live. And I said, Dr. Lamming, now would be a good time to listen to what your daughter's been telling you for years and what I've been sent to tell you. And he said, you know what? I, I have a funny feeling I should listen to you. I said, dude, he told you two weeks. Come on. Let's Let's do this, you know? So he said, okay, how do you do it? And I'm like, okay, repeat this prayer. And he's like, okay, let's do it. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we do it. Later in the day, the daughter comes in with the Bible, right? And he says, too late, he already did it. <laughs> that kind of thing. The daughter, oh my word, just Pastor Ross, you know, but I, I did the easy part. She's been praying and crying and loving him and trying all of these years. And I just got to just, just pick the apple off the tree. It was so easy. But all I, I, do you think I was thinking cancer, chemotherapy? Oh, it's terrible. No, I'm like, oh, I'm going to see him. His name got written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's just one guy. I was crazy like this the whole time. Every single day I was looking for nurses and doctors. One more story. This doctor, this doctor comes in the worst day of my life up there. I was in so much pain. They set me up in a chair and I'm like this and I got wires and tubes and it's terrible. And this doctor comes over and he sits down. He's all happy. 
He says, I'm your new doctor. And I'm so excited because I heard you're a pastor. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, no, God, not now. You know, I'm in pain. <laughs> and, and so he says, hey, but yeah, my wife's a Christian. She's always telling Jesus, 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 you know. And I got this, you went to seminary, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I did. And he goes, okay, I got a few questions. I, I'm almost there. I just need a few questions. I got a few questions. You don't mind answering me. Suddenly, I'm like, no, I don't. I don't mind answering you. And he gave me his questions. God just said, boom, wow. done. I could see it just go in like a hockey puck, right? into, <laughs> You know, just, you know, and he just like, bing, bing, bing. And, he, and he's like, oh, that explains it. You know what? That was the best, worst day of my life. It was the hardest day, but God was saying, get your, oh. Don't even let me bring up the, the guy from neurology. One more quick one. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. This is like the best one. All right. And, and then we're going to eat hamburgers. It's all going to be good. All right. Okay, one more. Here we go. I'm on the, my last day. They've given me back my stem cells. All that needed to happen. I've been in that hospital for 63 days. I want to go home. My stem cells were slow in grafting. So every day they'd come in, you don't have enough, you don't have enough, you can't go home, can't go home, can't go home. One morning she says, you got enough, you can go home today. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> All right, so I'm like trying to get dressed. She goes, no, you're going to have to just wait till you're officially cleared, right? So meanwhile, they're waiting. Where's the nurse? I want to go home now. Well, in comes this person that I had talked to in the waiting room, I, I was in the waiting room. I carried my thing everywhere. I was in the waiting room on the floor where I, I befriended somebody whose father was down the hall in neurology with a massive stroke and he was on life support, right? So I had touched base with them, right? So he comes into my room. He says, hey, I'll go. good news. I'm out of here. He goes, bad news. My dad, they want to take him off life support. You're the only pastor I know. Will you come and pray with us? And then we'll take my dad off life support. While I'm like, I'm getting out of here, right? And so I, and then where is the nurse? Where's the nurse? Where's the nurse? So I go in my robe with my, with my pole, with, the, with six bags up there, slinging it in, no eyebrows, no facial hair. Well, this is nothing new, but... I go down the hall into another unit, the neurology unit. I go into the room. I, I open it up. They had opened him up and tried to fix things. He had an aneurysm. Sorry, not a stroke. And, and he, he was pretty much gone. There was a whole crowd. And in I walk, and they're looking at me. And, and the guy's like, this is a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, hi, I'm in my jammies. <laughs> And, and so he's like, can you just share a little, Pastor? And so I shared the gospel with the whole family. It was well-received. I prayed a prayer, and they took him off life support. Everybody was, like, hugging and thanking. The second I got back to the room, the nurse says, oh, sorry for the delay. Here I am. You can go home. The second I get back to my own room, and the Lord speaks to my heart, 
I'm sorry to put you through a little delay there, but I needed you. I just needed you for two, two more hours, Pastor Ross. Had they come on time, I would have missed that, right? So now I want you all to think. Think well. Let the Holy Spirit just sweep over your entire existence and your life. What does he change you to? What is he trying to do? Why the wait, the wait, the wait, the wait? Of course there's a wait. There's a timing. He's saying, I need you for this person. Their father's on life support. And you want to go, 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 go. I want you to stay, stay, stay until I say go. I'm using things. You know, they used to call the, the up in the ward, they'd say the cancer was the C word. I said, dude, there's another C word called Christ. Christ. Start thinking about Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you think about Christ instead of your chains, my friend, and his timing, not yours, and how God is working and not what you're losing, but what God is gaining, you're going to have joy and PMA, all the PMA you could ever hope for. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Oh, thank you, Lord, for using our life, our pain, our struggles, our circumstances in ways we don't even know you were doing until you focus our attention on you, the word, the promises, the gospel, your worldview, Lord, because you're the center. So we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.